think, what was it? I don't know, two days ago, we had said that Tug was going to be gone for a while. And then, hey, Surprise. look, a wild Tug appears. Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> Good to have you, man. Uh, and we... This was kind of a surprise for even me, so I'm glad to be here, glad to be back on. Well, we have a lot of NFL stuff to go through, which I said was going to be a focus of the show here for a while. It absolutely is all the way, basically, until the draft. We're going to be talking a whole lot of NFL stuff. But we have a little bit of news to get to before the meat of this show. So let's get started on episode 113. Let's do it, boys. Let's do it. Let's do it. The memo got out late for one team, apparently. Now we have a Black Thursday in the NFL. I kind of like it. <laughs> uh, the Houston Texans fired their head coach after one year. So, sorry, Dave Cauley. You had your shot and <laughs> got punctured in the lung like uh, Terod Taylor. <laughs> so, from Jesus, <laughs> from, from what I'm hearing, this fire, uh, or from what I'm seeing, I should say, um, this is because quite the opposite of Brian Flores. Uh, we'll get into this, I'm sure, in a hot second. Um, Dave Coley wouldn't fire his offensive coordinator, and the ownership wanted him to. And when he didn't, they said, fine, you're gone too. So this is because he was too loyal to his staff, is the, the reports that I'm getting. You know, I, uh, I've i dealt with ownership groups that don't want to fire a coach after one season because of the optics. Um, I do, so I don't mind this if they truly didn't think David Coley was their guy. If their reasoning is that he didn't bend to their will, uh, I don't know why anybody else would want to work for them. Uh, I don't know too many, you know, and if, if you want to be an NFL head coach, you're a pretty type A guy anyway. So I don't know too many guys that are going to, you know, be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll do whatever you say, especially when it comes to my coaching staff. So I don't know. I If that's what happened, I don't like it, but not because of, uh, you know, because I think David Cole is a bad coach or it's a bad move for the Texans as far as on-field performance. But wanting a yes man. I- on your on, as your head coach, I don't know that, that doesn't sit right with me. I don't necessarily know that they were looking for a yes man. I think they were looking for a change because the Texans had the number thirty-two ranked offense in the NFL this year, so they wanted to see a change. Now, from Dave Culley's perspective, he's sitting there going, "I didn't have a quarterback. I was paying a quarterback, but I didn't have him. So why am I going to sell out my guy right now?" Like in that sense, I agree with you, but. From the ownership standpoint, they're looking at the 32-ranked offense and no changes happening. That That's tough. I mean, that's really brutal considering the Texans haven't had a first-round pick in like four years, had a roster made up entirely of one- or two-year contracts on like minimum deal veterans because they couldn't afford anything else, and getting your starting quarterback hurt in the like first quarter of the second game of the season. So you're starting Davis Mills. Good luck with that. Yeah, you're going to have the 32nd ranked offense in the NFL. I'm just telling you what the reports I'm seeing are saying. I'm I'm saying the Texans are stupid. That's, well, that's what I'm saying. Next <laughs> unless man they up. can get their unless they can get their quarterback to actually play for them again. Which I think leads into our uh, our next point here quite well. That's on so your side, Mr. Guy. I'm- <laughs> yeah, so the other things I'm seeing, it's no secret that Brian Flores seems to be a highly touted uh, 
coaching candidate this year uh, after his relative success in Miami. Uh, that is due to relationship issues with mostly the offense. And I'm sure you guys talked about that, so I'm not going to dive too much on into that. Um, but a couple of reports coming out. Uh, the GM of the Texans, I think it's Nick, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, Cesario, something like that. Um, obviously coming from New England, has a lot of ties to New England. So reports immediately are saying that the Texans are heavily pursuing Brian Flores. Uh, and then Adam Schefter is reporting that they are expecting to come to an agreement to bring Gerard Mayo on. So I would expect one of those two guys, both former New England coaches, both have a relationship with the GM uh, to be brought in uh, at least as the head coach, one as the head coach, and one probably as the defensive coordinator. You know, a guy who I'd really love to see the Texans go after here is Bill O'Brien. <laughs> hey, he is fresh off the Nick Saban School of Rehabilitation. Maybe he needs a year at the Bill Belichick Rehabilitation School as well before he gets that call. Well, <laughs> if you talk to Alabama been... fans, they're not too happy with how uh, Bill O'Brien called that national championship game, ab- completely abandoning the run, but a you know, little unrelated there. Alabama fans can lose a national championship game every once in a while. It's okay. <laughs> Jolly. I will say, though, uh, keeping on topic with Brian Flores here, and this might be SI completely trying to wish this one into existence, uh, but they said, hey, it would make sense for the Giants to fix their problem at quarterback and head coach in one swoop get Brian Flores, work out a deal with the Texans. They're losing leverage quickly and work out a deal with the Texans for Deshaun Watson. Sorry, I missed that. Very important key fact there, but they're losing leverage as far as what they want in return for Deshaun Watson at this point. And I don't know. I think it kind of makes sense. I definitely think the New York sports market would suit both of them well. I think what you're saying there is key with the timing of the Dave Cully fire as well. Um, one, nobody was expecting Brian Flores to be available. And then two, the Texans are losing leverage, so they need to figure something out. In this situation, I think their best option is to keep Watson on the roster. Best way to do that is to go after Brian Flores. We'll see what happens, but that's just kind of the timing makes that seem like a likely scenario of what happened. And I got this some is... guys that are closely connected in the league, too, that are expecting him to go to Minnesota. So who knows what this coaching carousel is going to bring. Yeah, this is absolutely Sports Illustrated just trying to make something happen here. I've actually seen this exact same scenario with the the team swapped out for the Chicago Bears. Them trading Justin Fields to the Texans (laughs) for Ben might actually throw away every Bears jersey he has. (laughs) You know, if it got the Bears, you know, winning in the playoffs, he would get over it pretty quickly. See, I've liked Deshaun Watson a lot longer than I've liked Justin Fields, too. So, right. I mean, right. You, you'd survive if that happened, yeah. but I doubt it will happen. My eyes would probably roll back in my head a few times, but, you know. The anyway, I have one last point on this. The only thing I haven't looked at for all these rumors, whether it be Minnesota, whether it be Chicago, whether it be the Giants, you know, whoever you want to say Watson's going to, I haven't looked at their cap spaces, so I don't know what the likely probabilities are there either. That's a $42 million cap hit next season. I mean, it's it doesn't matter as much as we want it to matter. 
the Saints go into every season $100 million over the cap. So it is what it is. They'll figure something hey, out. Hey, it finally caught up to them, okay? Kind of, but they were caps going back half, a, half yeah. a game away from making the playoffs, and they were the caps clogged. So, yeah, they'll be fine. Anyway, <laughs> the Texans aren't the only team that exists. There are other things happening. Um, namely, this was really interesting. Eric Weddle uh, is coming out of retirement to join the Rams for their playoff run. Very fantastic safety in his day, but now he's got to be 97 years old. So pretty interesting to see him suiting back up. <laughs> what do you guys think about this move? Uh, okay. Uh, people are kind of drawing comparisons to when Marson Lynch came back to help the uh, Seahawks in the playoffs. I guess there's some injuries and... Uh, you know, the roster depth chart's not looking so great for the Rams right now. So I respect the move. Um, still just kind of scratching my head at it. But, you know, good luck to him. And maybe he can help the Rams get a ring this year. I, that That's what this screams to me is that the Rams are treating this as a Super Bowl or bust type year. And that's honestly the way it's shaping out for them. They've got a prolific passing attack. They've got Cam Akers back now. Um and then I don't even think they have do they have Von Miller under contract long term. I think he's just a one year rental. I think I think it's one year so, rental, yeah. Yeah. It almost is super bowl or bust. But all right. Let's go ahead and jump to last bit for the NFL right now. The Lions and the Jets will be the coaching staffs for the senior bowl, which you know, I love the Senior Bowl. I think it's really important. Big part of the draft process. A lot of guys, this is their last chance to impress people. Uh, some some of the guys who make the Senior Bowl don't even really get combine invites. This is like, this is a real shot to get in front of NFL coaches, work with NFL guys, get your name out there, and if you can impress in the practice week and in the game itself, you can really, really improve your draft stock. We see it every single year. Guys getting huge bumps after the Senior Bowl. So some big names coming this season. You have a couple of quarterbacks made it, you know, some of the top quarterbacks on the board, which is unusual anymore. Seems like those guys leave college early. But we get, you know, Malik Willis is going to be a Senior Bowl guy. That'd be really fascinating if the Lions end up getting a good look at him and fall in love with him that week. But also want to point out the head coaches – will not be the head coaches for the Senior Bowl. So Dan Campbell and Robert Sala will not be the quote-unquote head coaches for the Senior Bowl teams. That's a new policy in the league where they're trying to bump up some assistant coaches and get them some visibility around the league too. So there will be some, I don't even know if it's coordinators or if it's like position coaches, We'll just kind of get promoted for this week. What do you got, Bo? Okay, I wanted a little dead space there in case you want to edit this out. This is how the Rooney rule should be implemented. It should not be mandated uh, mandated interviews. Like and at this point, like it's not even this is this doesn't even have to apply to minorities. This is just giving younger guys a chance rather than it being your connections getting you to where you need to be 
or where you want to be, I guess I should say. This is way better than any arbitrary, maybe this is a better way to say it. This is way better than any arbitrary rule that is out there as far as interviewing and opportunities on coaching staffs or as, you know, interviews, whatever. Actual game experience with really a group of guys that have been together for a week. I mean, you know, I, I love that. I love it. I, I love what they're doing here. It makes a lot of sense. The only thing I don't like about it is I know this was a free chance of these head coaches to get some good scouting experience on these guys, see them in actual action. I'm sure they still will, but they don't have that one-on-one with them, that direct one-on-one that they had in previous years. But overall, I agree with you, Ben. I like where this is going. I, I do think this is a much better way of doing it to highlight some up-and-coming coaches rather than force interviews. Well, don't yeah. get me wrong. They'll be a, the head coaches will be around. Dan Campbell and Robert Sala will be around that week, but they're not going to be leading the practices or leading the game. I think another thing, too, is uh, definitely go with whatever team is being coached by the Lions staff. The Lions looked really, really pretty good at times. They're just the Detroit Lions. That's that's their issue. <laughs> and they have the goofball back there at quarterback. Uh, you know. Really... <laughs> When some you lose some. But I think that does it for our NFL news here. So let's go ahead and jump into Bugs segment here. Non-NFL pro news. What do you got for us, man? Yeah, man. You know, I we might have mentioned this because I know we talked about the uh, $40 million the FCF has to make sure they have at least season 2.0 and 3.0 and more. Well, I think I mentioned that there's going to be four new teams. Those teams a little more information they're going to be based around the nfts so those nft partners that they brought brought in and a couple of uh, there are two others one's going to be uh, steve aoki's team um at first and i can't remember the third sorry or fourth or rather uh but at first when i was hearing about this i was like man so are these even going to be real teams but the more they talked about it, they're like oh there's going to be like two divisions you know blah blah, blah. so uh i also think from everything i was hearing on the twitch show today that if you are already a uh, like a wild basis fan uh, like myself, you can go and you can still interact and be a part of one of these new teams. I I not a hundred percent clear on that, but hey, it's it's out there. Um, it, I'm gonna have to look more into that. Also, sticking with the SCF, the second fan council survey was out. Looks like they're you know I think the first one I mentioned this as well looking at potential of an FCF video game, uh, looking at, you know, I, I think they're looking for new partners. I know Dazzin, the, the mostly fighting app, is going to have the FCF games on their uh, their app as well. That's unrelated to the, to the survey, by the way. Um, yeah, I, a lot of stuff going on in the FCF, more than I can really talk about. But the last thing I want to say on them before I move to the USFL is they're actually in the works of building a their own FCF facility in Atlanta. Now, I should note I was cooking dinner while I was listening to the Twitch show. So I don't know if this is just going to be a practice facility. I don't know if this is going to be their own arena that they're going to be able to do everything they want to in it. Kind of like how, you know, with COVID, they pretty much were able to rent the place they were in out last year and keep everything up because they were the only ones using it. 
which that might be why they're looking into building their own facility. They can have it all. You know, maybe it's going to be a practice and game facility. Who knows what it's going to be? I Again, I missed a lot of that. I'm going to try and look more into it. But to me, that is the biggest step of anything they said. The four new teams is huge. This facility, to me, is ten times bigger. If they actually get their own practice facility before the Cincinnati Bengals do, that will be incredible. <laughs> well, <laughs> if they're trying to build in downtown town Atlanta, that's going to be tough because it's, it's crammed down there. Well, very true. But, you know, there's plenty of suburbs. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's it for the FCF. Again, there's a ton of stuff. I originally was just going to talk about the fan, count or fan council survey, but then all this stuff I picked up from watching the show today, like, it completely, like, flooded my brain of the of the survey. So I apologize for that. Said I'd have more notes on it. Uh, just didn't think to write anything down. It was, like, 2 o'clock when I took the survey. Anyway, <laughs> USFL news. They are going to be giving players and staff tuition-free, debt-free college degree programs. So the USFL is looking to really help these guys in more than just potentially advancing their football career. You got you to gotta love it. And especially it was kind of born out of the, the spring league, you know, not officially. Uh, but it seems to a large degree that it was born out of the spring league. You love to see this happening right now, and it's really a great way of giving back to these guys. I wonder if this is going to become a potential alternative pathway instead of going to the NCAA. And going well, to... So currently you have to be two years out of high school, right? So, you know, you talked about the Senior Bowl, and I, I thought about sliding it in there, but then again, you know whatever I, I, we can talk about it here I, I really do think the usfl xfl even the fcf to a degree they're going to become pathways for guys to get into the nfl because let's be real i don't think there's any way a guy like the belly gets into the nfl without some extra things that he did uh and that's not just any that's not just last year that's any year Right, we These had a guy in are... Wisconsin Whitewater end up being yeah. drafted. I mean, you have Same. to do some extracurriculars to get your name out there. Quinn Miners, <laughs> by the way. The Bell, right. the Bell is just such an epic nickname. Like, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, man, it's these these spring leagues, 100-yard, 50-yard, whatever, they're going to become a legitimate way to get guys into the league, I think. I mean, we've seen it work in the past. Arena football used to be pretty legit back in the day. So if we get some actual spring leagues operational and consistently, you know, consistently good products that people want to see, it'll become something where it's worth worthwhile. Absolutely. That's all I have for non-NFL pro news, though. Uh, you know, we're doing the meat and potatoes of our show are going to be some NFL awards, but I didn't get to get my stuff in until the very end here, and then all of a sudden, you and John decided to throw in some last-minute things for college news. So I'll let you guys take it away here. Yeah, a Doug, couple of. I, I was, was going to let you go first. Okay. I just want to. I want to preface this by saying this is really team-specific stuff. It's just things that we want to talk about. 
So our show. There, there's some you know internal. Um, it's not head coaching news. It's a, a little bit of coordinator, a little bit of position coach news. But a lot of changes are happening, and I think some of them are really interesting. So Tug, you had one that affects Air Force, and then I want to talk about some Ohio State changes and why they're happening, and I wanted to discuss with you guys. So Tug, you only had one. You get to go first. I was going to say, I love your lead-in, but I'm going to leave that vague. <laughs> yeah, so news that dropped today, Virginia is hiring uh, former Air Force defensive coordinator John Rodzinski. Uh, by former, I mean as of today, he when he accepted that job. Uh, he was the defensive coordinator for the past few seasons at least. This really hurts Air Force. I think it's actually a really good hire for Virginia. Uh, Air Force's defense has been pretty solid, especially in the run game. With their undersized linemen, they've they've gotten some good production out of them. Um, you know what? I'm happy for them. I'm happy for for Virginia, and it it is kind of nice to see uh, one of our guys get a uh, power five job. It wasn't Air Force like the number three run defense in the country this year or something crazy. I'd have to verify that. I mean, yeah, suffice it to say they were really good at defense for no reason. So, <laughs> understandable hire. <laughs> but then I wanted to talk about Ohio State here because this is this actually kind of goes back to a conversation that we were having um, on the other side of it. So, when, when we were talking about potential head coaching candidates for all these NFL openings, you know, one name that keeps getting brought up by not just you know, the two of you, but by a whole bunch of different media outlets is Jim Harbaugh. And this time last year, he was essentially poison to head coaching discussions. Almost no one would even mention him. He was, he, he got a pay decrease to stay this alma mater for another year. And everyone was surprised that he even was able to stay, right? It was looking very bleak for him. Well, then they won. They won. And so he's getting all this love now. Uh, That also means Ohio State lost. And because Ohio State lost, there are some serious changes happening. And I just, I want to take serious note here. I want everyone to realize we lost a game. And we just turned over our entire staff. I, I do want to highlight that you called one of these changes, too. I mean, some of these were easy to call, but it's it's about actually making the moves and finding the right guys to replace you with. So we fired three position coaches, lost another one because he took a job elsewhere. I don't know if that was a firing although I suspect he wasn't going to be welcomed back anyway if he if he didn't take that job. So <laughs> our offensive line coach, Greg Stadrawa, was uh, – he was retired. <laughs> um, our defensive coordinator is gone, Gary Combs. The guy who was actually calling plays for our defense is now the defensive coordinator at Memphis – in Matt Barnes, and Al Washington, our linebackers coach, was let go. So the only assistant coach on the defensive side of the ball that we kept is the legend himself, Larry Johnson. 
Now, if you don't know who Larry Johnson is, if you have heard of a defensive lineman in the past, I don't know, 20 years, Larry Johnson probably helped coach them at some point. He is Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa. Well, you got to go back even further than that. So in the early 2000s, Penn State was putting out number one overall picks at defensive end. That was Larry Johnson, right? So this guy is an absolute legend, a defensive line coach, and he is still the defensive line coach for Iowa State. And I gotta, I gotta throw this in here too. The only reason Matt Barnes is gone is because he actually did a good job, and Memphis had the opening. I mean, he was fine. I will not say he did a good job, and he did. I don't he did think he was going to be Gibbs. Maybe, but also I don't know that he was going to be retained. It was he found a job before he got fired. He was also going to be let go. Let's be real. So I want to talk about the guys they're bringing in because some of these moves are fantastic. Um, Jim Knowles, we've already talked about that one. Jim Knowles coming in from Oklahoma State. He led a very successful defense there and runs the same style of defense that Ryan Day wants to run at Ohio State. So it's a match made in heaven. He's probably not going to be a head coach at this point. He's already in his 60s. And he is very good at defense. So it's like the perfect fit. He's the highest paid assistant coach in Ohio State history. He he runs this special defense that Ryan Day loves, the 4-2-5. He relies on his safeties. And that's basically the way Ohio State's been set up to play, the way Ryan Day's been recruiting defense. So everything kind of fit together there. But at the same time, that means we really need to focus on our defensive backs coaches. So we bring in Perry Eliano, cornerbacks coach from Cincinnati, who just coached the Thorpe Award winner and Consensus All-American down in Cincinnati. Uh, two different guys, by the way. So that's pretty incredible. And then we brought in Tim Walton, former cornerback for Ohio State and NFL defensive backs coach for 13 years is going to be our corners coach. So Perry Eliano is coaching corners at Cincinnati. He's going to be coaching safeties here. Wild. And Tim Walton, former Ohio State guy, is coming back to coach our corners. Absolutely love that. And so this is something that I had talked about with, well, really with my dad before. But it's like, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, we have Brian Hartline. Former Ohio State guy, very successful in the NFL for what he was, right? Tim Walton, same kind of deal. Now on the defensive side of the ball, we absolutely needed a guy like that. Guy who had some success at Ohio State, a little bit of success in the NFL. As this guy even has coaching experience. This is perfect. This is exactly what we needed. So... I wouldn't even talk about the offensive line guy, former offensive coordinator for UCLA. Some connections from Ryan Day's time with Chip Kelly. I mean, all these changes, though, stem from losing one game. I just want you to realize that. I I want to highlight the belief. I want to highlight the belief differences here because this isn't reciprocated across the rivalry, right? So Ohio State loses it one time in 
what, eight years? And they change over their entire assistant coaching staff. Just the entire thing is gone. And that speaks huge to Ryan Day. Because Jim Harbaugh was there losing eight years straight. And the only reason he was losing coaches is because they were getting better offers somewhere else. Like, I think they even bled a couple to Ohio State at one point. Yeah, that was the last time our defense was really that good was when we stole Jim Madison away from him. <laughs> so. No, I, I love this. And then as a Miami fan, I, I do have a soft spot for Brian Hartline. So I'm, I'm happy to see him continue to succeed. He got promoted, actually. He didn't get he's he's like the one real bright spot of our assistant coaching staff. He is now wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator for Ohio State. You mean when you lose two first round right first round wide receivers and replace it with a record setting third string wide receiver on your staff that, that generally bodes well for the wide receivers coach? Yeah, usually. Should do pretty well for the the scouts and recruiters as well, too, huh? Yeah. Yeah. G- generally a good thing to have a bunch of talented guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually really love it, too. So, in college, the rule is you need one foot down to establish that you're in bounds. In the NFL, it's two feet down. Since Brian Hartline has come in as our receivers coach, if you watch Ohio State football, it's obvious they're being taught to get two feet down, which is perfect. That's exactly what they should be being taught. But in most college programs, it doesn't get taught that way. You need one foot down. That's what it is, which is fine. It works. But if you try to get two feet down and you fail, you might still be in bounds per college rules. It's genius. It's great. Only helps the draft stock, too. Exactly. I was going to say, and that, that helps with recruiting because that's what you want to see. You want to see a coach that's pushing them to the next level because while for the program itself, the game, the game, the national championships, the conference titles, all that matters for the program. So a lot of these kids coming out of high school and coming up through, they're focused on getting to that next level. So if I'm coaching you as if you were playing at the next level, that's just another, another bonus. Well, and let's be real. If you coach everybody as if they are in the NFL – and if you have the talent to back that up, you're going to win a lot of games in college anyway. So, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, Tim Walton brings some of that back to our corners. Because it's been a minute since we've had a really dominant cornerback at Ohio State. And we used to yes. pump them out like nobody's business. So, was, was this the last time for the 2020s that uh, you're going to be saying that you lost the season? I mean, it better be. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we got anything else for the news? Any last-minute shots? All right, we got to say we jump into some awards here. Doug is still recovering from the fact that he just had to admit that they lost the season. That's fine. We'll leave this silence here just in case. Thinking about losing the game really affects me. <laughs> I I understand. I'm not okay. No shit. <laughs> All right, so it is the end of the NFL regular season. And as such, same as we did with college before, 
it's time for our season awards. Of course, this one is for the National Football League. We have a couple of, you know, pretty standard awards and then a couple of uh, BDT-specific entries here. So instead of having one MVP award, it's basically a quarterback award at this point anyway. So we just have a quarterback of the year award. That's what we'll start off with. Then we have a non-quarterback offensive player of the year award. Uh, defensive player of the year, offensive and defensive rookies, offense and defensive lines of the year, and a coach of the year award. So we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, we each, all three of us have a nominee. And we will discuss after we name our nominees and select our winner for each of these awards. Go ahead and start off with quarterback of the year award. And I guess I'll get us started with my nominee, Tom Brady, quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Threw the most yards of anybody this season, most touchdowns of anybody this season, and had a pretty dang good completion percentage too, uh, number one in the league in that as well. 67.5%. Uh, 12 interceptions, I guess, is the only knock against him. Had quite a few of those comparatively to a couple of guys, but still, that's that's really low. And that touchdown-interception ratio is rock solid. Also, considering that he lost Antonio Brown, Gronk was in and out of the lineup all year. Um, I mean, Mike, Mike Evans, Evans was wasn't consistent. Right. Godwin got hurt. Right. So instead of doing it with the supposed plethora of weapons that everyone assumes that he has, he was doing it with, you know, the likes of Scotty Miller. So that is a direct shot at Scotty Miller. If you want to come on the podcast and defend yourself, feel free. But <laughs> you're not Mike we've Evans. Thr <laughs> we've thrown this shot out before. Nobody's taking it. Please be the first. <laughs> so, yeah, Tom Brady had a sensational season. and. 44 years old doing it. It's pretty impressive, too. I'll go next year. I'm going to go with uh, Justin Herbert, the guy that was second in yards, 5,014. Third in touchdowns with 38. 15 INTs, a little bit higher than Brady, but let's be real, even Brady throwing 12 INTs is very odd for him. I, you know, Everybody talks about the rules, helping the defense. And yeah, it's, or helping the offense rather. Yeah, I think it does. But with you know more passes, defenses are still getting more opportunities. So I'm not going to use you know three, you know, difference of three ints is a huge knock against him. Ninety or sorry, sixty-five point nine. Real dyslexia there. Sixty-five point nine pass uh, completion percentage. Look, last year I said at the end of the season that. He had the Chargers looking amazing. That he, you know, he took them from being four, five, six years away from the playoffs to one or two. And look, they were a game out of the playoffs this year. A lot of that is on the back of Justin Herbert. I mean, you throw for over five thousand yards, it's got to be. I don't know. I maybe he could have done more. The whole team could have done more too, though, right? Like, not one player gets you to the playoffs. The future is bright in LA. And uh, I would love, I would have loved nothing more than to see a Chargers Rams Super Bowl this year in LA. That would have been, you know, back to back years of host team winning the Super Bowl. But it is what it is, and the future is definitely bright for Justin Herbert. So that's that's where I'm going. 
All right, I'm gonna clean us up here with uh, probably somebody who somehow got more attention than both these guys, but both of these guys, but threw for less yards. So I'm going with Matt Stafford, the uh, quarterback for the Rams. Uh, what a comeback year for him and reestablishing his career out there in LA. Uh, 4,886 yards, 41 touchdowns, 17 INTs. He had a 67.2 completion percentage. Uh, the one I want to highlight here is his 8.1 yards per attempt, uh, which is third in the league uh, behind Joe Burrow and Jimmy G. Uh, I put a minimum of 50 attempts on that because I don't want the one dude who threw one pass for 75 yards to count. Um, so when you look at it all, Matt Stafford's a big play guy, uh, and that that's what this shows. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to highlight him here um, and argue that he's going to be our quarterback of the year. You know, after week, I don't know, eight, maybe even week 10, I would have absolutely agreed with you. He fell off hard. I don't understand why. Well, so that's kind of that's kind of the M.O. for Matt Stafford. He is a fantastic quarterback, and there's a reason people have said that Kirk Cousins was the third best quarterback in the NFC North, and then you got the Bears quarterback taking up the rear. And it's because of Matt Stafford. Even though the Lions were awful, he made them watchable. And with the weapons he had this year, everybody got to really, you know, get a reminder of what this dude is and his talent level. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised that you would take him here, Tug. But I, I honest, I agree with you as well, Doug. The drop off is jarring. I guess that basically leaves us with Justin Herbert and Tom Brady. Doug, did I do anything to convince you on Herbert? I know he's your guy, so, you know. I know I love Justin Herbert, but statistically it doesn't make any sense to me to vote for him over Tom Brady. Fair. And I would say, you know, I made the argument that Tom Brady had all of his guys hurt. Well, I mean, Justin Herbert gets all of his teammates hurt too. But essentially that becomes a wash then, right? Mm. So weapons aren't really part of the conversation. To me, this is more, it, it becomes pretty mano-a-mano, and purely statistically, Tom Brady was better. Yeah, uh, there's no denying that. Yeah, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean Brady here. I, I would have loved to go with Matt Stafford, but Brady beat him everything statistically except yards per attempt. So that does it. Tom Brady is the BDT quarterback of the year. Let's go ahead now and jump to the non-quarterback offensive player of the year award. Who wants to start us off here? So I'll screw it. I'll go first because I absolutely have the player with, you know, worst, worst statistical year of the three. And he's not even, I think he's like number five or six among running backs this year. The reason I want to go with Joe Mixon of the Bengals, uh, by the way, 1205 yards, 13 touchdowns, 4.1 yards per carry. The Bengals really felt it when he was missing from the roster for a few weeks. And without the production that he was able to provide, you don't get Joe Burrow being Joe Burrow this year. You could could have made an argument that Joe Burrow should have won. You know, I could have nominated him for quarterback of the year, and it did cross my mind because of what he was able to do. I just didn't want to. I think Herbert's better. Anyway. That's that's a different discussion. Uh, but Joe, you know, Joe Mixon had a huge impact on the bay on the Bengals. 
I mean, I don't know. I, I think you look at Joe Burrow because you have to, and you look at Jamar Chase because you have to. The next guy you look at when you're looking at who was the catalyst to this offense, who helped them get their first uh, division title in 10, 15 years on that offense, it's got to be Joe Mixon. My counter argument to that before I even get into my nominee would be by your own criteria, Derrick Henry sounds more deserving. Just what he was able to do. <laughs> I mean, there is no other guy, you know, for the Titans. It's Julio Jones and AJ Brown were so inconsistently in the lineup that there was no other consistent option. You know, the Bengals at least had Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow connection there. So you know, it's it's an interesting argument. I understand what you're where you're coming from, but my nominee, Jonathan Taylor, had a better season: uh, 1,800 yards, 18 touchdowns, and five and a half yards per carry. That is incredible. You also have to consider that Carson Wentz was not good again, so everyone kind of knew that this was the Jonathan Taylor show, and he still balled out. This was a very impressive performance for the second year running back. My only issue uh, with Jonathan Taylor was it took him, I think, four weeks to get going. Uh, He did clean up and then put up a very productive season, but the first four weeks of the season were kind of brutal. But I, I hear you guys. You won't take Matt Stafford. I get it. Cool. I understand that. So I'm going to come back at you with Cooper Cup, the wide receiver for Matt Stafford out in L.A., uh, 1,947 yards, first in the NFL, 16 receiving touchdowns, an eye-popping 13.4 yards per catch, 30 receptions over 20 yards. Oh, and then let's just add in that he had 40% of the team's passing yards. Uh, those are insane across the board. When you talk about a guy who absolutely changes the game, that that's going to be him. Um I didn't really see the drop-off. He had a couple bad weeks, but wide receivers have that, especially when they start keying you. And then he, in the final game of the season, put up over 100 yards again. Um, There's a connection there between Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford that's absolutely insane, and I would 100% contend that while, yes, Matt Stafford had a bunch of other weapons there, Cooper Cup was the guy that drove this offense forward. It's probably up to you, Bug. Because I don't know that you're legitimately going to vote for Joe Mixon over these guys. I mean, no, we no, we I'm all kind of knew that this was going to come down to Jonathan Taylor and Cooper Cup. And I, <laughs> I wanted to throw Joe Mixon out there because yeah, it becoming such a pass-first league, I wanted to give some credit to a guy that really helped his team in a way that probably doesn't get all the recognition it should anymore. Uh, because the other guy I was going to pick was Justin Jefferson. So... You know, it's very obvious what Justin Jefferson did. I'm going to go with Cooper Cup for a couple reasons. Second one being, uh, you know, second least important reason being that he basically won me my fantasy league this year. So a little little payback there for Cooper Cup. Uh, but the main the main reason is he was I when I drafted him, I did it because of a podcast I listened to and where they had him ranked, and he just kind of fell to that spot to me in the draft. And I was like, all right. Kind of hesitant, though, because he was a very boomer bust type guy with Jared Goff throwing him the ball. Here's the thing. It's very clear that Jared Goff was the issue and not Cooper Cup. 
And the issue is not that Cooper Cup wasn't doing his job right. It's that Jared Goff wasn't doing his job right. Get a consistent quarterback there, somebody that can play the position well. Look what Cooper Cup's able to do. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going with Cooper Cup, and I guess that means he's winning the uh, the non NF or non quarterback offensive player of the year here. No, I'm a perfectly okay with that. Cooper Cup was incredible. And to be that close to the, a new NFL record is pretty amazing, too, with with, uh, with receiving yards. Now, Megatron still has it, but not by much. And Cooper Cup was pretty awesome this year. That record's going to fall soon, I got a feeling, too. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to get a 2,000-yard season here soon enough. Which, unreal. Watch it be, watch it be Jamar Chase next year and the Bengals just go off. <laughs> I mean, 1,400 yards in your rookie season, wide receivers typically don't light off till year two. Yeah, just a good possibility. Anyway, next is defensive player of the year. I say Tug gets to start us off this time. All right, I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit here, guys. I'm taking TJ Watt, the edge, out of uh, Pittsburgh. Had an NFL record tying 22 and a half sacks. Uh, granted, some of them questionable at best, I would say, but hey, he got there. Uh, I heard Ben correctly, Michael Strahan's 22nd and a half sack was also kind of trash. So we get there how we get there. (laughs) Um, He had 64 total tackles, which seems kind of low. 42 of those were solo. Again, most of them being or good. Yeah, yeah, most of those being sacks of his solo tackles. Uh, Five forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries and seven passes defense. For an edge rusher, those are absolutely insane stats. This guy's been at the top of the league since he came in. And I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. Just another year that he's continuing to improve his pass rush abilities and being a nightmare for opposing quarterbacks. So I'm going to admit this is a little bit of a homer pick and also because I'm pissed he didn't make the Pro Bowl when he absolutely deserves it. Uh, but it's Roquan Smith. He's been overlooked a lot as far as you, as far as uh, middle linebackers in the NFL, but he is absolutely and that's, he should be and deserves to be in that same conversation as Bobby Wagner, uh, Fred Warner, all the, you know, all the names that you typically think of. 163 total tackles, 95 solo, two sacks, 12 sack tackles for loss, and uh, one interception, which was a 53-yard pick six. Man, somebody, if the Bears don't pay him, somebody will, and they will be getting a hell of a player in the process. My guy is another often overlooked linebacker, uh, deservedly so until this season, I will freely admit. This guy's been in the league for four years. He doubled his total tackles in his career in this season. Because <laughs> uh, this season, Foyasadi Aluakun had 192 total tackles. Um, that's freaky. That doesn't even sound real. But it happened. 102 of those were solo, by the way. Um, and he's your traditional middle linebacker. So I, I can tell you by those <laughs> stats that that's the case. Two sacks. Um, just 192 tackles. Unreal. Had a forced fumble in there. Had three interceptions in there. But, man, he was a tackling machine. Now, I know the Falcons' defense sucked. 
but Voisadio Lucan was not the reason why. So I just wanted to shout him out. But yeah, I'm absolutely voting for TJ Watt. <laughs> I don't think there's any reason to vote for anybody but TJ Watt, if I'm being completely honest. Right. You know, there was absolutely a actual race for defensive player of the year not that long ago. And then Miles Garrett decided to stop getting sacks. And TJ Watt decided, hey, let me get a couple more of those. <laughs> I, I like sacks. Let's keep going. Right. So TJ Watt is our defensive player of the year. And next up is offensive rookie of the year. I'll start us off with this one. This is a guy I've already mentioned, actually, is uh, Jamar Chase, wide receiver for the Bengals. Yeah, uh, 1,455 yards, 13 touchdowns in your rookie season. That is incredible. Also had 18 yards per catch, which is really high. <laughs> I uh, I like that number. That's pretty cool. That's not going to be yards per like target. That's not, not. He's not catching the ball 18 yards down the field every time. That involves making guys miss very frequently, breaking tackles, getting out in open space on his own. So he was a fantastic electric player. I still think the Bengals would have been better suited drafting a left tackle, but they got Jamar Chase, and he was pretty good. So <laughs> recognize, you know, recognize when there's a good player out there. I'll step in here with my, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say it what it is. It's a, it's a homer pick here, uh, and I'm picking it for a very specific reason. You see, Jamar Chase set the rookie single-season record for yards in a season. Well, Jalen Waddell came in and beat Anquan Bolden's record for receptions. So Jalen Waddell, another 1,000-yard receiver, 1,015 yards, 104 receptions, six touchdowns, 9.7 per carry, can, or uh, per catch, you can up that to 9.8 if you want to. Man, I enjoyed watching this. I'm starting to realize there is something to be said for that connection that these uh, QBs have with their college-wide receivers. Just saying, Ben, if the Bears drop the ball and draft Chris, uh, yeah, Chris Olave or uh, Garrett Wilson, you might be just fine with uh, your receivers in Chicago next year, even minus an offensive line. We saw that in uh, Cincinnati this year. I. Uh, I'm going to let Ben go with his, but looking at year two, which I think are probably the top three in the NFL, the actual NFL voting right now, uh, I am going to change my vote, but uh, I'm going to let Ben go with his. So I think I did this last year too. I actually picked a, uh, a rookie offensive lineman. And I don't remember what, uh, what specifically I said. Um, or how I came to my decision. However, this year, Creed Humphrey, he exceeded any expectation I had. Mostly because, you know, we, we don't use pro football focus much. But when it comes to offensive line, you kind of have to, right? Not only was Creed Humphrey the top-ranked rookie at the beginning of the season. He was a top-ranked rookie at the end of the season. Add to it, he was the top-ranked NFL center 
of the year, his grade of 91.1 was a full seven points ahead of Corey Lindsley, who was at second place in second place for centers. As a center, every play starts with you. You're kind of the leader on that offensive line. Tristan Wirth, I was able to pull, you know, a few more, you know, statistics for him last year and able to say, yeah, he was getting all those edge rushers. Creed Humphrey, though, I don't know. I it's a Doug, I don't know if you're laughing at me or if you're laughing at your phone. It's really distracting right now. But uh Creed Humphrey, man, that's uh that's where I'm going. So, Ben, I do have some stats to add for you thanks to a new website that uh, Doug found, onlinestats.com. Creed Humphrey on the season allowed one sack, 10 pressures, three tackles for loss, for a pressure percentage total of 1.24%. That is absolutely game-changing. Yeah, Creed Humphrey is the best rookie of the year. It's hands down. I mean, he was sensational, and everybody loves to pile on the stats of everybody else. And you know, I I was listening up Jamar Chase's stats, but I knew I wanted Creed Humphrey to win this, even when I listed Jamar Chase down. I was hoping if nobody else put him down, I was going to change it to Creed Humphrey because I knew he ought to win. He was legitimately the best rookie of I mean, the last couple of seasons. This this guy was amazing. The season he had was something else. So. Yeah. And it's not like he's jumping in at a guard position or a tackle position where you still have to be aware. The centers really do control the NFL lines. They're the ones responsible for identifying blitzers, changing line, making line adjustments, things like that. His stat line, when you actually break it down, is absolutely insane. It's worth mentioning, at least for me that Jamar Chase was absolutely who I was going to put in if I had been on here first. So you would have been able to put Creed Humphrey. <laughs> so, for what it's worth. Let's get to our best offensive line, please. <laughs> no, first, first we have uh, defensive rookie oh, defensive. of the year is up My next. Best. Um, after we had an offensive lineman win offensive rookie of the year. Uh, we don't have any defensive linemen nominated for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, a little bit of spoiler there for you. But at the same time, we have three great rookies to talk about. First up is Patrick Sertan, cornerback for the Broncos. Man, he had a fantastic season out there at corner. Really, honestly, close to being a shutdown guy as a rookie. Pretty impressive. 58 tackles for him, which... That's a good amount. You don't want too many tackles from your corner position, but 58 is pretty good. Uh, four interceptions, 14 pass breakups. He allowed only 5.7 yards per target. Now, that's pretty incredible, and especially coming out of a rookie. What a great season for him. It, it was. I'm going to go a slightly different direction here. Um, I'm going Mike Parsons, who is that kind of hybrid outside linebacker. Uh, edge rusher. So he has 64 total tackles, 13 sacks, three forced fumbles, and then added in three pass defensed as well. A uh, very solid season, especially that sack total, man. For a rookie that isn't primarily an edge rusher, that is absolutely mind-blowing that he's coming in. Honestly, just nine nine sacks behind the uh, the year leader there. 
So I'm going with JOK, Jeremiah Owusu, Koromoa out of Cleveland. Uh, for, in 14 games, he had 70 total tackles, 43 solos, one and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. He got a half sack against the Bears. And on that play, he had a delayed rush. And I'm not even sure it was drawn up as a delayed rush. He just saw it and went for it and it resulted in a sack there. That was an IQ play for a rookie linebacker to make. I love to see it as a guy that there were some question marks around, especially with his uh, his health going into the season. And he put up a fantastic season for a rookie, rookie linebacker. All that to say, I'm not going with him, though. <laughs> I think it's Micah Parsons by a mile. Yeah, if you actually get to see this guy play, it was something else. And it's really interesting, too, because coming into the draft process, you know, I think I had said at one point, it's really weird to project how he's going to perform in the NFL because it doesn't seem like he has a natural fit as far as position. But then, you know, he gets thrown out at outside linebacker, just it gets let loose, does whatever he does, and it turns into some really impressive plays for the Cowboys, and they, they definitely needed him. That defense was a lot better this year, thanks to Mike Parsons. Yeah, he was kind of a Swiss Army knife for him because even early on in the season, they didn't know how to use him, and it was interesting to watch, shall we say. Uh, but yeah, you're exactly right. Once they moved him, uh, terrifying. So, Michael Parsons is our defensive rookie of the year. And now we move to the lines, offensive line of the year. Who wants to start us off here? I guess I'll start us off. And <sighs> this is almost the line that I think is best set up for the future. If I'm being honest, I'm going with Kansas City. We just, you know, took Creed Humphrey as our offensive rookie of the year. 17 sacks allowed on 67, 67.45% of pass plays. Pass plays. Yep. Uh, 3.2. Oh, my God. One of you should have gone first on this. Either way, we took our stats off of O-LineStats.com. So the, Patrick Mahomes was sacked like 23 times, 24 times total, which is still among the least in the league when you go and look at offensive lines. Based on these statistics from O-LineStats.com, Kansas City came in third, which is impressive because there were some legitimate questions about this offensive line, not just going into the year, but early on in the season as well. So that YBC you're looking at, they had 3.2 yards before contact per attempt, per rushing attempt. So that's that is They're basically everybody. That's basically the best way to assign <laughs> rushing yards to an offensive line. And 3.2, that's really good. That's really good. Oh yeah. But my offensive line of the year is the Dallas Cowboys, who allowed 11 sacks on you know not as many pass plays 63 percent uh actually rounds to 62 percent of plays were pass plays um they did allow a lot fewer yards before contact uh, so 2.7 there but 
11 sacks allowed is the most impressive to me. And it was also probably the most important. Dax coming off of a very big injury. Really can't afford to get him hit again. And to allow that few sacks was impressive. Not only that, the Dallas Cowboys had the number one offense in terms of yards per game in the entire NFL. You have to attribute some of that to the offensive line. And looking at specifically the individual offensive linemen who performed the best, they probably had the best guard in the league in Zach Martin. And Tyron Smith coming back was probably the second best tackle in the NFL. I mean, Trent Williams had an amazing season, but Tyron Smith was right up there. So a couple of really important pieces that you can name were just the best at their position in the league, too. I'd like to add, too, that while their uh, yards before contact on run plays is lower, I would 100% argue that Dallas has a better running back room than Kansas City anyway. So that's not as big of an indictment on them saying, hey, you know, we we weren't able to you know, prevent more yards before contact. It's more of a teams are more aggressive at stopping the run between Zeke and Tony Pollard. Right. No, that's a fair point. The Cowboys had more rushing yards than Kansas City still. But the yards before contact, so the offensive line rushing yards, if you will, probably lower for the Cowboys. But you're absolutely right. That, that affects it. So I'm going to come in here uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as my offensive line of the year. Uh, Coming across the stat line here, I've got a 15.3 pressure allowed percentage, uh, which is the lowest in the league. They did allow one more sack than Dallas. Uh, They allow, so they allowed 12 sacks, allowed 13 fewer pressures, 10 more tackles for loss. When you're breaking it down there, yards uh, before contact was 2.4. So again, lower there. Uh, they also, out of the three, had the lowest penalties. Uh, Which, that's huge. Yeah, when, when you're talking offensive line, penalties is huge. So you're talking lack of holdings, lack of false starts, things like that. Now, just to throw it out there and be fair, does Tom Brady's offensive line always get called for holding? No. But <laughs> the stat is there as the lowest of the three that we have nominated uh, for for lowest penalties, so man, this is going to be a tough one to decide between. I will freely admit, I am most impressed with Kansas City's offensive line out of these three, just because the expectations were so much lower. I will also say I personally like watching Tampa Bay's offensive line more than any of these three. I like the way this, that line is constructed. I think best overall is probably still the Dallas Cowboys to me. Just the combination of run and pass blocking and the fact that, you know, those those big guys that I just named, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, that's really solid. And to protect Dak the way that they were able to do and to get the most yards in the NFL, that's probably your best offensive line. I completely agree, actually. Uh, Like I said, I think Kansas City has definitely set up the best for the future. And for that matter, too, I don't think it's going to be a situation where we see Dallas have a huge drop-off like we did two, three years ago after they had that offense and everybody was like, oh, well, I could run behind that line when Zeke had his big season, right? 
Well, that was even before Zeke. That was uh, Demarco Murray. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Who had the most it yards is. in the NFL? It was absolutely true that anybody could have run behind that line. Right. We saw what happened when DeMarco Murray didn't have it, right? So. <laughs> so so I want to come in and I want to make a proposal here because there is something worth highlighting with Kansas City here. Uh, and it's our show and we can do what we want. So I want to spot nominate alone, no competition, Kansas City for most improved offensive line. Add one more award to this because that is worth highlighting. That is absolutely fair. Why not? <laughs> kind of why not <laughs> so then who are we voting as the best offensive line in the I, NFL? I, 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 would, think I, right. I think you're right I think it's Dallas and I think it's Dallas because Dallas does it year in year out right they're the couple years that where their offense wasn't good was because half of their offensive line was out with an injury or other health concerns it, it it's got to be Dallas all right offensive line of the year goes the Dallas Cowboys and most improved offensive line goes to the Kansas City Chiefs out of nowhere from the top rope. All right. Defensive line <laughs> of the year is next. And it's Tug's turn to start us off. All right. So I used a different website. I have a membership to Football Outsiders. So there's going to be a couple stats here that I might need to explain, but it's worth highlighting. All right. So Baltimore had allowed an adjusted line. Uh, yards of 3.45 their power success and what football outsiders defines as power success is for the defense Uh, it's basically stops of on third and fourth down with two or less yards Uh, so the way it's worked out is weird I think the lower the number the better it is based on their rankings Uh, which was 62% for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, 24% run stuffs. Uh, they allowed an average of 1.13 second-level yards, which is starting to get past the, the line, uh, and then a 5.3% sack rate, which is pretty damn good. Some complicated advanced stats there from Football Outsiders. I wish we understood them all. Uh, mine are a little bit more straightforward. <laughs> So I picked the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and part of that is because as a team, they had 48 sacks on the year. The defensive line had 40 and a half of them. That's pretty fantastic. Also, the defensive line accounted for 11 forced fumbles and only allowed four yards per carry. It's pretty fantastic. I also found out this really neat stat which I totally want to measure all defensive lines forever in the future off of this. They are one of five teams in the NFL that allowed a less than 40% conversion rate on third down, less than 50% conversion rate on fourth down, and a less than 60% red zone conversion rate for touchdowns. That, a lot of those three stats are on the defensive line. You have to be stout up front to make those happen. And only one of five teams in the league that can say those all three of those things at the same time. So very impressive year for the 49ers defensive line. Most of that is attributed to Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead. But the defensive line as a whole, fantastic season. So I know they missed the playoffs, but I'm going with Cleveland. 
and it is honestly in no small part due to Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. The way those two can take over a game, that's really, I think that's the biggest factor in what makes their defensive line so scary. Uh, do Using the same stats that Tug here used, 4.2 average line yards, 72% power success, 13% run stuffs, 1.1 average second level yards allowed, 13 sacks, 6.9 adjusted sack rate. Or 6.9% adjusted sack rate. Nice. Nice. Yeah, thank you. So, <laughs> nothing glorious, nothing amazing. The potential's definitely there. This unit, everybody was talking about wanting to finally see it perform. When it did, it did. When it didn't, they missed the playoffs. This is a tight race for defensive line of the year. I kind of want to stick with the 49ers personally. I kind of want to stick with Baltimore. <laughs> I think the uh, the third down, fourth down, red zone, I think those statistics there are what puts the 49ers over the top. And let's be honest, that defense was really what saved them in not just the defensive line, it was the total defense. I'm not going to you know deny that, but that's what got them into the playoffs, beating the Rams there. So I, I think I've got to go the way of the 49ers here. I mean, I, I'm okay with that. And you highlighted the one thing I wanted to do, that fourth down conversion percentage, the 40 per, uh, third down conversion percentage and red zone conversion percentage. Those are total team stats, not just defensive line stats, but they're definitely worth highlighting. And that does start with the defensive line. For sure. But I like the you know, 41 sacks as a defensive line. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, absolutely. I'm not taking away from that. <clears throat> Dirty. And definitely the two best players on that. Two of the three best players on that defense are on the line. Fred Moore is pretty great, too. But Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead are really, man, got to be two of the best defensive linemen in the NFC anyway. I mean, on the AFC side, you have TJ Watt, if he counts, and Miles Garrett. But Nick Bosa, man, AFC has Joey Bosa, too. There's, there's a disparity of defensive ends, I'm saying. But in the NFC, I, I look at the 49ers. Insane. So that leaves us with one award left. That is Coach of the Year. And uh, I don't think I want to start us off with this one. Maybe, maybe Bug, you go first. Urban Meyer. Just kidding. I had, Love to, it. <laughs> I had to throw it in there because I had it in our notes just to mess with these guys too. John Gruden. <laughs> Matt Nagy. Uh, our oh real my God. That would have got me going. <laughs> Brian Flores. Uh, my real nominee. That just hurts. My real. My real nominee is Zach Taylor. Now, don't get me wrong. Right, the Bengals have had a couple of really good drafts. But two years ago, this team went 2-14, and 14, finished dead last in their division, the AFC North. Last year went 4-11-1, finished dead last in the AFC North, and had yet another high draft pick. This year, they finished 10-7, and seven, win the division. Look, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, 
Jamar Chase. They have weapons all over that offense, but there's also a defense on this team. There's also special teams on this team. This total team performed well, even though they weren't the best all season. We thought the AFC North was going to be one of the best divisions in football. And really, the whole AFC is just the best conference in football right now anyway. So take that for what it's worth. Man, just the total revival of the Cincinnati Bengals or really the first birth of the Cincinnati Bengals here, right? They've never really been known for being amazing in my lifetime, at least. (laughs) So I I don't know, man. I I can't. You guys are going to have to convince me to go with either of these other two guys. I, I will say, since he has won the division plenty of times with Dalton, since he has had fairly good seasons in the past 20 years, the issue is they can't get that playoff win. So we're looking at a situation, uh, almost a Baker Mayfield situation, uh, where now Joe Burrow has the chance to be the savior of Cincy and win their first playoff game in 22 years, if not won a playoff game since 1990. Um, I'm going a different direction here. I'm going a different direction for a couple reasons. One, this dude was hired very late in the coaching carousel process last year. We were all surprised when when Doug Peterson got fired. And then, honestly, I didn't even know who this dude was when he got hired. And I'm still not entirely sure who he is. Uh, So I'm going with Nick uh, Sirianni, the head coach from Philly. The reason I'm doing this is when you look at that team, here's, here's what's different, right, from Nick Sirianni in Philly and Zach Taylor in Cincy. I can't really point to two or three guys that had the outstanding seasons that they had in Cincy, right? So, yeah, sure, you got a couple big names, Jalen Hurts, Jamar Chase, uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, Devontae Smith, but that's really it in Philly. You don't have that marquee running back. You could say Miles Sanders, but let's be real, he's a slightly above average running back, if that. Uh, Miles Gaskin-esque, if you will. Uh, so you really don't have a prolific running back. You you have one weapon on offense. Jalen Rieger, their first-round pick from a couple of years ago, is an absolute bust at this point. Um, and they piece together enough games to win with a team of guys who are just starting to and trying to make their names. They didn't come in with it, uh, or they did in the case of Devontae Smith, but he's still a rookie, so it's going to take some time. What he was able to do with a short timeline from when he was hired through the draft process to making a playoff team out of these guys. I mean, I'll be honest with you. A lot of that's because they had a fourth place schedule, but even still, like you still piece together enough wins. You're still in the playoffs. Something I can't say as a Dolphins fan. So I love that you brought up the last place schedule because pretty sure both of your coaches had that benefit. And my guy did not. He had a first place schedule. And ended up winning the division again anyway. I'm talking about Mike Vrabel of the Tennessee Titans, who came into the season with some pretty high expectations, I will say. Uh, We all expected the Titans would win the division, actually. And they did. So you don't get too many points for doing what you were expected to do. Until you consider that they lost the, I don't know, entirety of their offense for half the season, still won the division, still got the number one seed in the AFC playoffs. They got a first round bye without having Derrick Henry for over half the year. Unreal. 
Not only that, they were also missing A.J. Brown and Julio Jones for most of the season. Their big free agent acquisition on defense, Bud Dupree, yeah, he's not playing anymore. He's been charged with some things. He's in legal trouble. Uh, That's not going well. So the defense doesn't have any star power either. This is absolutely operating on Mike Vrabel. I will also say the Tennessee Titans have had to start a NFL record number of players this year. 95 different players have started this season for the Tennessee Titans at some point. That is unreal. That does not happen. (laughs) And not only were the Tennessee Titans successful with it, they got the number one seed in the AFC. Unbelievable coaching job by Mike Vrabel. And I have, I would vote for him 20 times out of 20. I mean, it's every bit of this success with Titans is on Mike Vrabel. When are people as a whole going to start putting respect on Ryan Tannehill's name? The man has earned it at this point. I know Adam Gase ruined him in Miami, but Ryan Tannehill is an above-average NFL starter. Yes, he is not your primary QB. You need the run game with him. I get it. The Titans had that, and then they did him when they lost Eric Henry, and they were still successful. I Honestly, man, you said everything. I agree with it. I knew once I saw that name on there when I was putting my names in that, that's probably where I was going. Uh, that was one of those picks for me. But, man, this this entire organization, I think, somehow is under underrated all the way through. <laughs> I agree. And I will say, I, I also agree with you, Brian Tannehill is an underrated quarterback. But if you look at the tendencies of the offense – it didn't even really change that much, which I don't understand. They didn't start throwing the ball all that much more often when Derrick Henry was out. They just were running it with no-name guys. So it's because AJ AJ Brown went out shortly right, thereafter too. Right, and Julio Jones was out for I don't know sixteen of the seventeen weeks of the season. It felt like. So. Look, at least your big offseason wide receiver acquisition wasn't out for fifteen weeks with a broken fucking finger. I'm pretty sure he was out with a broken foot so same difference no no <laughs> i mean man this what what a season for the tennessee titans i mean the titans win but i'm still sick sticking with zach taylor <laughs> because you can yeah okay last play schedule two years in a row but they had a last play schedule last year too and still got last it, the, I mean, the, yeah, that's not everything, but that is a that was a point in my no, I, and my I, I think so. it is a very good point too. And then you throw in, oh, by the way, they didn't have the guy that probably would have won the fucking MVP, Derrick Henry, most of the season. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Mike Ravel's deserving of it. I just want to recognize the amazing Zach Taylor. I agree, he did a fantastic job at Cincinnati as well, and for different reasons. Like it was. We didn't expect anything out of this Cincinnati team, really. And they came out swinging in a big way. Actually, Zach Taylor was probably on the hot seat going into the season a little bit because there wasn't enough progress. And then all of a sudden, they're in the playoffs. I'm just going to go ahead and say the Texans should take a listen or take take a note from the Cincinnati Bengals playbook about listening to your quarterback when it comes to, you know, maybe some player acquisitions or – Maybe some coaching acquisitions. I, clearly, it worked out in Cincinnati. 
I mean, depends. Didn't really work out for the Browns this year, so. I, I said take it into account, not put full faith and just listen <laughs> to them. Well, I mean, maybe that's what Deshaun Watson's asking for is full faith and credit. That's not going to work out too good. Anyway, that wraps up our BDT NFL Awards. Quite the big segment there, but pretty fantastic one, if I do say so myself. So congratulations to our award winners. And let's get into the playoff predictions. Oh, yeah, brother. So the playoff bracket is set this weekend. We're getting the first round of the NFL playoffs. So we are going to, in this episode, make our predictions for the entire playoff bracket. I guess we just got to go one at a time. If we want to jump in and discuss after each one, I think we can probably do a little bit of that. But let's go ahead and all three of us have different predictions for the entire bracket. So just so we stay the same, are we going week by week or conference by conference? Uh, I'm gonna. It's up to Bug. He's going first. Yeah. So I'm gonna go first. Uh, I will say, and I'll. I'm not gonna give away my uh, uh my AFC team, but I told you what team I was taking in the NFC last week. So if you listen last week, you know how that one's gonna break down. But I am gonna start with the AFC here. First round is Patriots Bills. Uh, I firmly believe that we were all wrong about it being all Brady and not so much Belichick. Uh, And I think Matt Jones is a good enough quarterback now, and he's going to get better with Bill Belichick as long as he can stand him. Uh, And what I'm getting at here is you don't want to bet against Belichick in the playoffs. And uh, I think they're going to upset the Bills in Buffalo or Orchard Park, wherever it is they actually play. Next game. Raiders, Bengals, Raiders, amazing turnaround. If Basakia, Basatia, there we go, Basatia. If Rick Basatia isn't getting serious consideration to just take over as full-time head coach next year, that is a absolute foul on the Raiders. However, I don't see them beating the Bengals in Cincinnati. I think they've got too much momentum going. They've got the weapons. They're a better-built team right now. I'm going with the Bengals. Last but not least, a game that I've had multiple opportunities to go to at this point, uh, just in the past two days, really. Tickets uh, we found for 145, and then my job is actually going to be volunteering, my squadron, they're going to be volunteering at the concession stand for this game in Kansas City. And uh, I would love to go. It's going to be Big Ben's, Big Ben's final game, most likely, and having a Ben Roethlisberger rookie card, it had been really cool for me to be able to see that. Uh, and I say his last game because the Kansas City Chiefs are absolutely not losing at Arrowhead, not to the Steelers right now. So that makes our second round matchups, the Patriots versus the Titans, the Bengals versus the Chiefs. Now, I know I just said I don't want to go against Belichick. Tennessee is going to have a fresh Derrick Henry, and they've been rolling as it is. It, it's a case of the unstoppable force, the immovable object. There's never been a rookie quarterback even go to the Super Bowl, I don't think. There certainly hasn't been one win the Super Bowl. So I, the Patriots' time will come. They will be back, and they're going to be in these playoff pictures and making runs deep into the playoffs for years to come. But it's not going to be this year. Titans are going to win this one. And, man, I, I want to go with the Bengals over the Chiefs, but I don't see the Bengals winning an arrowhead either. 
So I'm going with the Chiefs. Like, who gives us an AFC championship of the Chiefs at Nashville going against the Titans? I don't know that Nissan Stadium is as much of a home field advantage as Kansas City. Actually, I know it's not as much of a home field advantage as Kansas City, but it is a home field advantage. I'm going to give them that slight edge there because they've had it together for more of the season than Kansas City has. The Chiefs absolutely had struggles earlier on in the season. And, the you know, on the same at the same time, Titans had some struggles as well, right? They lost to the Jets, for God's sake. But I'm going to go with the Titans anyway. That's going to put the Titans in the Super Bowl. But like I said, if you listen last week, you know who they're facing. But I'll get to them in good time here. First round, I've got the 49ers beating the Cowboys. Again, I'll explain my whole rationale for why the 49ers are going to be winning all these games here later. It's going to be tough going into AT&T Stadium, but I think they can do it. They've been playing with their backs against the walls for a couple weeks at this point, and they've been getting the job done. Doing it at Jerry World, that's just going to be even sweeter. Next up, we have an A or an NFC West rubber match. The winner of this will win the season series. It's the Cardinals and the Rams, and I feel like the Cardinals have just been a team going in reverse since you know midway through the season. The Rams, they hit their hurdle, adjusted, and they've taken off since then. So I've got to go with the Rams here. And last but not least, Buccaneers hosting the Eagles. Eagles have had a great run. They absolutely deserve to be in the playoffs. This was very unexpected. I did not expect there to be two NFC East teams, right? You know, the, the NFC South really let a lot of people down. A little expected with the Saints. But the fact there was no other NFC North team is, I think, more surprising to me. And the fact that the Eagles were able to sneak in because of that says a lot to them. But notice I said sneak in. Yeah, there's uh, the Buccaneers got this. That makes our second round matchups, the 49ers versus the Packers. And you know I'm not picking the Packers, so I'm just going to say it right now. The 49ers are going to win at Lambeau and hopefully put an end to this last dance nonsense. Uh, Chicago did the last dance better anyway. Uh, then we got the Rams going to Tampa Bay, to Tampa Bay. Again, I, you don't want to pick against Brady in the playoffs either. But the lights are the lights are starting to go out. Brady can probably play for another two, three years easily if he is able to keep up this click. But I, I'm going to plant my flag here that he's not going to be able to beat the Rams. And they've got too much on defense. They're going to be fresh. they got too much on offense. I, I need to stop you here. Did you just say he's slowing down when he threw for 5,000 yards? Is uh, clearly in the MVP conversation. And just won our oh, quarterback of the year award. Just won our quarterback of the year. Brady's slowing, slowing down. down. Slowing down. Absolutely slowing down. You, you have fallen into the trap, sir, that I have said for about six years now. Oh, he's got two or three years left. Either way, I he's not going to be able to make it through another play. That's that's at least what I'm going to say, because I, I mostly want to see uh, the the NFC West get two head-to-head matchups in the playoffs, and this was the only way to make it happen, if I'm being honest. And uh, I want to see the 49ers assert their dominance over the Rams. I talked about it last week that the Rams were going to regret not beating the 49ers the last week of the season, and really this was the only way to make this matchup work. There was absolutely no way I was going to have the Eagles lose or beat the Buccaneers to make it make more sense because really that makes less sense. Uh, so 
I've got the uh, the 49ers making the Rams pay for their mistake of not putting them away in the last game of the season, letting them sneak into the playoffs. And then the Rams are going to have to be at home watching the San Francisco 49ers lift the Lombardi Trophy on their home field. And uh, I got the 49ers beating the Titans in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the 49ers going all the way surprises me. Um, unless you listen to the last episode, which I definitely did because I was there. But <laughs> I, just in general, the thought of the 49ers going all the way. Um, yeah, I don't. I'll, it's a little bit of spoiler for my bracket here. I don't have them making it out of the first round. So interesting. Uh, we have some differences for sure. But I'll go ahead and get into it here. Start with the AFC. Uh, Patriots, Bills. A lot of the same reasons you were talking about. You know, Bill Belichick is one of, if not the greatest head coach in NFL history. Yeah, I'm giving it to the Patriots here. Just because the Bills, I feel like there is some real regression from Josh Allen this season. We're seeing that for sure. And this feels like a very Patriots kind of game. I'm giving it to the Patriots. Uh, Raiders, Bengals. I'm going to take the Bengals. I just don't believe in the Raiders this much. Chiefs, Steelers, the Steelers are awful. Big Ben is not good. And I, if if you gave me the Steelers versus a piece of wood right now, I'd take the piece of wood. So the Chiefs are moving on. That gives me Titans, Patriots. Again, going with the Titans. Not only is Derrick Henry back, Julio Jones is back too. A.J. Brown is back. Like, the whole offense is returning, and the Titans with an offense is going to be really fun to watch and a lot better. So, just purely talent-wise, the Titans are a better team than the Patriots right now. This is not a knock against Bill Belichick. <laughs> um, the Chiefs, Bengals, I'm going with the Bengals. I really don't know why, uh, other than upsets do happen, and the Bengals really feel like a special team right now. Also, some of those concerns that we saw early in the year for the Chiefs still concern me, even though we haven't seen them, you know, cause a lot of losing as of late for Kansas City, right? It's it's still, they're still not a perfect team. And the Bengals are far from a perfect team either, but they have a couple of key pieces in the right area. One thing specifically the Bengals have that the Chiefs don't is a pass rush. I mean, Trey Hendrickson, the guy we didn't even bring up when we were talking about sack leaders, I mean, he's right up there too. And that's something that is really going to test this offensive line that we just called the most improved. Um, We saw in the playoffs last year that really fell apart for him. So I'm taking the Bengals there up against the Titans in the AFC championship game. Going to take the Titans. The Bengals aren't good enough to go all the way. I see them winning in round one, being the better team. I see them maybe getting an upset in round two. They're not going to get multiple upsets in a row. They're not that good just yet. They're still extremely young. This is a huge building block for them, a stepping stone in the right direction for sure. And I'm excited to see what the Bengals can do going forward. But right now the Titans are the better team. So over in the NFC, yeah, I have the Cowboys beating the 49ers. I don't know what you're talking about, dude. The Dallas Cowboys have the best offense in the NFL, and they're at least going to go to round two uh, to face the winner of Cardinals-Rams here, which is going to be the Rams 
a lot of what you were saying. You know, the Cardinals fell off in a big way, and the Rams, you know, in some ways, they aren't playing their best football of the season right now, but it feels like they're better than the Cardinals at the moment, and I trust Matt Stafford more than I trust Kyler Murray. Then going to the Bucks eagles I am I'm taking the Eagles. Again, like what I said with Bengals Chiefs, I don't have a great reason to give you for this other than upsets do happen. And I have a feeling about this game. I'm probably wrong. I was the worst picker of the regular season for the NFL. I know college, but man, the NFL, I am wildly inconsistent with my picks. I just have a feeling about this. Yeah. The, the records reset were zero and zero. You don't need to make these uh, reach picks to try and catch back up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm taking the Eagles. Um, that would put the Eagles playing the Packers in the divisional round. And yeah, the, the dream story ends here. But this, a win over the Bucks here would cement Jalen Hurts as your quarterback going into next season. And <laughs> just would be really fun. <laughs> it's wild and interesting. I'm all I'm all for it. Uh then Rams Cowboys. I want to take the Rams here. This feels like a very even matchup even though the Cowboys have a better offense statistically. This feels like a pretty even matchup to me. Uh, so kind of coin flip almost going with the Rams. Rams Packers is a game that we got to see earlier this season, and it was pretty fantastic. Um, going to take the Rams in this one, even though it's at Green Bay. Again, kind of a maybe a little bit of wish fulfillment. I'll be honest with you. Rams Titans in the Super Bowl, a little bit of a rematch. <laughs> we got this close. Why not pick the Rams here? And uh, I'm going to take the Titans to win it. Get some revenge. <laughs> All right. Our a- I'm not going to drive into it too much because you guys said a lot of the same things I'm going to say for the AFC. The only difference I have from you guys uh, is I have the Bills beating the Patriots. Uh, and this is going to be a theme here for a good chunk of my uh, my analysis going across. But playing up in Buffalo. I got to check what the weather is, but that is a brutal game no matter which way you slice it for both teams. Bill got it done last time by doing nothing but running the ball, legitimately doing nothing but running the football. The Bills going to be ready for that this time, and I, I, I don't foresee the same uh, outcome. Uh, the Bills are going to take this one. Uh, Bengals, Raiders, you guys already said everything, and then Chiefs, Steelers. The Steelers got in by luck. Um, their story ends here. Uh, differences here is I'm going to take the Bills against the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Uh, man, the Chiefs have just been so inconsistent offensively this year. I cannot put all the faith that we've given them in the past. They don't get that pass anymore. Um, Bengals at the Titans. Yeah, Titans are a more complete team. I'm going to take the Titans in that one. Uh, Titans, Bills. Titans at home. I'm going with the Titans on that. Uh, again, more complete team, rested offensive players. And just an overall game that is a smash mouth, punchy up the middle and still beat you kind of game. Um, so we all agree the Titans are coming out of the AFC uh, to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, for the NFC, I'm going to take the Cowboys. 
I just don't see the, the Niners getting it done on the road. I am going to go with the Cardinals against the Rams. Uh, yeah, they've had their struggles. Uh, Doug, like you said, I, I have a feeling on this one. Um, and then I'm going to take the Bucks against the Eagles, what I see as the safe bet, which means it's probably not. Uh, that's what I'm going with. Uh, Cardinals at Green Bay. There are few stadiums <clears throat> in the NFL that are legit home field advantages. Lambeau Field is one of those fields. Now you add into it that it's Lambeau Field in the middle of the winter. You're coming from the desert in a dome. That's just, it's not a good recipe for the Cardinals there. I'm taking the Packers. Uh, and then Cowboys, Bucks. And the Bucks had their number early in the season. They're going to have it again here. Uh, Going in, so we're gonna get a rematch of the NFC Championship game from last year with the Bucks. Only this uh, Bucks Green Bay. Only this time, the Bucks are going up to Lambeau. And then the NFC Championship game again. Lambeau is an absolute beast in the winter. In these months, it's gonna get worse. This is where I'm not gonna say Tom Brady's slowing down, but his old man bones will catch up to him at this point. Uh, that winter cold is not good for you, old folks. Um, and then Green Bay and Tennessee. Uh, ben, what is your nightmare will also become your dream. Uh, I do see this as a last dance scenario. I think Green Bay is going to come in. They're going to win it. It goes against every fiber of what I actually want to call because the AFC legitimately is the better conference this year. Um, but I think I think the Packers are going to put it together. Aaron Rodgers is going to go out on top, and then he's going to go find a new team this offseason. So I've got Green Bay winning the Super Bowl. Gross. I hate everything you just said. <laughs> I, I know you do. I know you do. It's I'm fascinating to me that all three of us have the Titans in the Super Bowl, but I'm the it, only one who has them winning. And all different matchups for the Titans. I want to caveat this too. I think this is this is absolutely going to lock in our uh, week one picks, but we're going to look at who was most accurate as far as the bracket goes, and still do weekly picks. Uh, yeah. But yep. you know, we've we've picked all of our week one picks. I think those for sure are going to be locks. I don't think there were any of them that were any tinkering, honestly. Uh, besides maybe, no, nah, I don't. I, I actually, I take it back. I don't think there was any of it that was really any tinkering. Besides maybe the Eagles one in you know, winning the first round there for you, Doug, but realistically, I, I could see it happening too. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm i so, just saying legitimately, I have a feeling about the game. I don't know why. I don't even really believe it. I'm just picking the Eagles because it feels right in the moment. Yeah. I'm so j- just to put this out there for um, so everyone knows, are we going to grade our bracket accuracy kind of the same way we do uh, – NCAA tournament brackets, one point for the first round, two for the second round, three for the championship week, and then four for the Super Bowl. Sounds excellent. Sounds like you just made up our scoring system. Good job. Cool. Thanks, Just want to make sure so we're all on the same page. (laughs) (laughs) But, yes, we will have weekly picks as well as we get to the actual matchups as they happen. Um, It's probably going to be Chiefs-Bucks again because the universe despises us. Well, you know, when some you <laughs> lose some. At least there's no call. Uh, there's no playoff committee selecting the NFL playoff teams. That Gosh. we can all agree on. Yeah, and the playoff talks 
the expansion talks stalled and Pac-12's mad about it. Apparently they're holding everything up even though they They will finally get in. (laughs) They will finally get in for the first time since Oregon in the first one. Uh, Washington made it one year. But anyway, (laughs) that's totally off topic. (laughs) It's NFL playoff time. Uh, Man, this has been a fantastic episode, by the way. Uh, Some real meat, meat and potatoes here. NFL awards, NFL playoff predictions. Wild ride for us. And I will also say this would have traditionally been a bracket time episode. But we are in a transition period. Uh, getting ready for another fantastic bracket. A little bit of a holiday break, a little bit of a break for us, too, after the behemoth that was the Heisman winner's bracket. <laughs> Just got to be real. That was a massive undertaking. We are working on one. You will see it very soon. And it's going to be a good time as well. So stay tuned for the next bracket time. We're not giving up the tradition. But yes. that right there. I was going to say, it's another big one, too. Yeah, it's 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 pretty big. <laughs> but that right there is going to do it for the show here today. And I know there are several places where people can find us if they would like to. We usually shout out all the links. They'll be in the description. But just remember, BDT Football, you can find us pretty much everywhere. Except Instagram, BDT underscore football. And then, so I'll hand it over to you. What do you got for us, man? Send us out of here. Man, I'm, I'm excited for playoff football. I'm sad the Dolphins aren't in. I'm also sad I didn't get to talk about Brian Flores, but uh, it is what it is. Before I get into our little outro, Ben, do you have our dad joke of the week? Well, you know I have my dad joke of the week. What did baby corn say to mama corn? Where's popcorn? popcorn? There you go. You guys are catching on. That was too predictable. I hate you. you. Step it up. Where's popcorn? (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, clearly that is all the time we have on the show today. Thank you for listening. And just remember, you can't win a game.